you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. On this episode of Earning It. I just think that opportunities need to be there for everybody in, in every aspect, uh, in, in every field, in every opportunity. She has the respect of the players. She certainly has the respect of, of everybody in this building because she knows her job. She knows what to do. The new breed in the NFL. I talked to head coaches Ron Rivera and Kevin Stefanski and their groundbreaking female coaches, Jennifer King and Callie Brownson. Plus, a special overtime segment with Callie, whose personal story is a must listen. I called you last night in preparation for this interview and asked you if anything was out of bounds. What'd you tell me? Let's air it out. Let's air it out. Here's a stat I love. For the 2021 season, the Cleveland Browns led the NFL in hiring participants from the NFL Women's Forum, six in total. That's the program that I started to create a pipeline to bring smart females into the game. As far as progress goes, that's a remarkable number. To Browns head coach Kevin Stefanski, it just makes sense. It's a priority because I think, number one, it's the right thing to, to do. And number two, just I've always said this, why eliminate half your population when you're filling a job? And, and we just want the most qualified person for that job and, and to not be inclusive in those decisions Uh, would be foolish. If you know Coach Stefanski, then you know he's anything but foolish. He's not even 40 yet and is already a head coach in the NFL. In 2020, he was named Coach of the Year after he led the Browns to their first playoff appearance since 2002. It also happened to be his first season as a head coach. And I believe your first hire was Callie Brownson, chief of staff. Does this start at the top with Dee Haslam, you know, part owner of the of the Cleveland Browns? Or why did you make this a priority from day one? I wanted to make sure that our coaching staff uh, you know, was reflective of our of our game, reflective of our communities. And and we wanted people who thought differently and pushed each other. And and I definitely wanted to make sure that, that we had, you know, a, a woman or women on our staff. Uh, and as I started asking around and, and gathering some names like you do for all those jobs, you're looking for this coach and that coach and you're there's no shortage of names, uh, which is a good thing. Uh, Callie's name came up through a couple different people. And the more I I checked in on her and and found out what she was about, it was a perfect fit. The Browns hired Callie from the Buffalo Bills, where she had been an offensive assistant coach for one season. Before that, she was the first female to coach Division I college football. She was also a phenomenal tackle football player. As chief of staff, she basically does it all. She coaches uh, and then she's in here in the equipment room if they need extra help. And and she's I mean, she's really running practice. And, and I don't I say that sincerely. She's she's running it. So uh, she's supremely capable. Uh, and I just felt like early on, once I met her and found out more about her, she was somebody that we had to have uh, part of this operation. During the 2020 season, when two coaches were out, she stepped in and became the first woman in NFL history to lead a positional group. In one game, she oversaw the tight ends. And the other, wide receivers. She has the respect of the players. 
she certainly has the respect of, of everybody in this building because she knows what she knows her job. She knows what to do. Uh, she knows the offense. So it was pretty seamless. We talked about what her presence on the field means for the next generation, specifically his five-year-old daughter, Juliet. I don't feel like I need to be a, a father of a daughter to get equity. Like, I don't feel like I needed that. But certainly just, you know, my kids in general, I, I just don't want them to be uh, limited in any way. And especially with, with women in football, now these young girls can look and say, hey, there's Callie. That's what Callie's doing. And I just think it's important that there's examples out there. And years from now, when, when Juliet is uh, deciding what she wants to be, there's going to be countless examples of, of, of women in our sport. Uh, because this sport is, it's, I, I've said this before, and I, I really believe this. I love football. Uh, I love what it teaches us. Um, and it's a kid's game. And it's not a boy's game. And it's not a girl's game. It's a kid's game. And I just don't want it to ever be uh, uh, limiting uh, one sect of people uh, for, for whatever reason. His answer reminded me of something Billie Jean King said a few weeks back about the importance of male allyship. If I hadn't had male allies, I wouldn't be talking to you and having the opportunities I've had because men are in power and they're the ones that have to change because they're the ones that can change things fast. Other coaches in the NFL and in other sports as well are looking to Coach Stefanski as an example. Coach, when you were hiring, you know, Callie and other women on your coaching staff, you know, a couple of other head coaches in the league admitted to us that, you know, they weren't nervous enough to stop them from hiring women, but there was a little anxiety about shaking things up, you know, after football has been one way for 100 years. Were you nervous at all bringing on female coaches? Yeah, I really wasn't. And listen, I think it's it's 2021, maybe 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Uh, maybe there was some closed mindedness in our game. I, I don't that doesn't exist in our building. I wouldn't allow it to exist in this building. Callie actually called me right after she was hired. It was a huge decision at the time. She was already living her dream as a coach in Buffalo. And he explained this role that he was thinking about, this chief of staff role. And I remember saying to him, you know, coach, that's great. That sounds like an incredible opportunity. But like, I really don't want to get pulled away from football. And I'm worried if I take this role, it's going to pull me away from coaching. I'm, and I'm terrified of that. And he just laughed and said, can I tell you something? And I said, yeah. And he was like, you know, this was my first job. That was my first job in the NFL. And mm -hmm. I was just like. Okay, touche. You got it. And he was like, <laughs> you know, I take it really seriously that it doesn't pull you away from football. In fact, I think like it's one of the best educations you can get in that role because you're seeing so much and you're involved in so much. He was able to tell her what he envisioned for her career two, three years out. Why are you passionate about developing not just women, but young coaches? And, and why do you put so much time into that part of coaching development? Yeah, I just want to be so intentional about development. I think it's so easy to say, hey, let's get all these you know, young coaches in there, throw them in a room and, and they'll figure it out. And, and in, in some ways you will. OK, and, and there is a lot to be said for throwing coaches in a room and telling them to get some work done. But I think we've tried to be intentional about it. And with each coach uh, and, and again, young and old, uh, quality control to coordinator, uh, we, we've put together a program in terms of this is how we're going to develop our coaches. And we spent a whole week in March. Uh, and, and had the coordinators interview for a head coaching job. And we had the position coaches interview for a coordinator job. And we had the quality control coaches interview for a position job. Uh, had Callie, obviously, interview for a position job. And I just feel like I don't want to just say that we're about development and not be about it. Coach, 
do you think we'll see a female in the head in the head spot, the head coach position anytime soon? What's what does the future look like for female coaches in the NFL? Yeah, I mean, it's a, only a matter of time. Uh, and, and I believe that sincere, sincerely, just because we have such quality people and it's only a matter of time as those quality people grow in this profession. Uh, some of them may, may be a position coach next year and a coordinator in a couple of years. And then the next thing you know, it's a head coach. And I, I just think uh, we, we have too good, too good of people for that not to happen. And I think it's going to happen soon. Coming up, Jen King could see her future by spying. That's right, spying on Ron Rivera and his players. I would go outside and actually peek through the gate uh, just to watch practice and kind of duck security as they would drive around in their little golf carts. But um, I was so close and kind of far away at the same time. How she got them to open the gate for her next. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. I could not have built the pipeline for women in the NFL without Ron Rivera. He's a former player and current head coach of the Washington football team. He was the first head coach to get behind this effort. Well, I think a big part of it is, you know, I am a girl dad. Um, you know, my daughter, Courtney, has, has, has competed uh, collegiately, competed in the international level. Uh, she's coached and uh, my wife has coached and my wife has coached collegiately and professionally. And so I, I just think that that opportunities need to be there for everybody in, in every aspect, uh, in, in every field, in every opportunity. I'm not sure you understand the value that you have to this effort, Coach Rivera, that when we had that first event uh, at Pro Bowl five years ago, that you were the only head coach there and you were talking to the women and inspiring the women to get involved and submit their resumes. But your passion for diversity coach spans beyond women. You have a very diverse coaching staff that's always been a passion of yours. Why is diversity a competitive advantage for you? Well, you know, it, it, it's funny, Sam. It, diversity kind of happened naturally, organically. As I was interviewing people to be on my coaching staff, um, I just hired who I felt were some of the better candidates, some of the better people that I got to know and understand. It just so happened they were all diverse. So to me, it, it, it is not about gender. It's not about race. Um, it, 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 it's, it's not about anything. It's just about being the best person for the job. Here's a true story. At a league meeting in 2016, Coach Rivera's wife, Stephanie, raised her hand at a panel that was hosted by Jane Goodell. She asked why there were no female coaches in the league and what NFL leadership was doing to change that. I told her to give me a few months. Well, I will say this, and I'd be remiss if I didn't admit this. A lot of my success is in part because she's my partner. Um, you know, she is a person that, that uh, has always been a sounding board for me. Um, she gives me a different perspective, a perspective that that, and excuse me for putting it this way, but only a, a woman could have. And I have found that that sharing, her sharing her opinion with me has helped me make some pretty good decisions. And, and so that's why it was important to me to, to, to make sure I hired the most qualified people. And if those people happened to be women, then they were going to get hired. One of those people Ron hired is assistant running back coach Jennifer King. She's been with him since his time at the Carolina Panthers. We actually met before that. 
when she emailed looking for coaching opportunities. Yeah, at the time I was uh, I was a head coach coaching college basketball and I was in Atlanta kind of wasting time until I was going to the, the gym to recruit. And uh, I don't know, something just kind of told me to, to reach out to this lady named Sam Rappaport I had heard about. Um, I really um, wanted to get into football um, at a higher level. I've been coaching at some lower levels and obviously playing football at that time for uh, a lot of years, but I went to get into coaching and I emailed you blindly. I remember you emailed me right back and we were soon, uh, you know, chatting on the phone about, you know, what I wanted to do. You were a quarterback too. We can relate on that on many levels, but talk to me about your playing experience. Uh, yeah, I was fortunate to play for uh, 13 seasons, um, mainly as a quarterback and um, had a successful career. You know, had some great teammates, won a few championships and, um, you know, it's nothing like being able to step out on the grass and, and play football and compete, uh, you know, with your sisters. This might sound funny to a lot of people, but it really is a sisterhood. We just knock each other on our asses for fun. In 2018, Jen King earned a spot at the Women's Forum, so she was able to get in front of head coaches and general managers. Yeah, it, it was such a great event just to meet other women who wanted to be in football. I think that was the first thing I noticed. It was a room full of women who wanted to work in football, which was a great opportunity. And for us to be in front of those decision makers and coaches and general managers was big. And, um, you know, at the time, my office was next door to the Panthers facility. And, um, you know, once I saw Coach Rivera there, I had to kind of figure out a way how to shoot my shot. Jen was coaching basketball at a college in Charlotte and would take any opportunity to spy on practice. And I was next door. So usually in the mornings when I got into the office, um, sometimes they would be practicing or sometimes they would practice later. So I would go outside and actually peek through the gate uh, just to watch practice and kind of duck security as they would drive around in their little golf carts. But um, I was so close and kind of far away at the same time. So obviously the forum allowed me to to, to build that bridge with Coach Rivera. And um, we kind of went from there. And it's funny because I can remember because behind their practice facility or their stadium, excuse me, their 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 arena, they had these uh, cold tubs. And her and her players, they would come out and they'd soak their legs. And every now and then I would notice them looking up over the hill. So when she told me that's who they were, I started thinking, okay, now that makes sense. Ron says he was blown away by her passion for the game. When I asked her, you know, what, what is your goal? And she said to coach, coach in the NFL. And that really was, was kind of the start of our conversation. And I told her, I said, you know what, when we get into OTAs, in many, why don't you come by? And, and so we stayed in touch. And she came by and she got a chance to watch practice for the first time and you know, just kind of be out there. And, 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 you know, I would always look over and just kind of see how she was doing. And you could tell she was enjoying being there. So so to me, I could feel the passion. I kind of just kept getting invited back. Uh, he kept <laughs> everything that they had at mini camp and then ultimately training camp to, to be able to go to training camp with them was huge. It just expanded my knowledge and my you know, my growth as a coach so much. So, you know, he always told me to stay ready. And that's, that's one thing that I tried to do. So every time that I was invited back, you know, I was prepared uh, for that next step. The next step was an internship with the Panthers. Coach Rivera ultimately brought her with him when he took the head job at the Washington football team. Jen is the first Black woman to coach full-time in NFL history. It's so important just to to see someone who, who kind of looks like you doing something, um, especially on TV. That's why I think it's so important to see. And I think that's something that, um, you know, all the women coaching now in the NFL, along with myself, we take it very seriously as far as people seeing us, you know, and just to, that exposure. I can't imagine, you know, as an eight-year-old, 10-year-old watching football with my dad, if I would have saw a female coach on the sideline, the impact that it would have had on me then. So I think that's why we take it so seriously now, um, just because we know of the, you know, the impact that we can have. And how have the players reacted to a female coach? You know, the biggest thing I have found, more so than anything else, Sam, 
is players want to be coached by anybody that can help them. They really do. And they will listen to anybody that has a voice that can help them. That's the biggest thing. And it's been kind of fun watching Jennifer find her voice. And, and, I, and, and I don't know if you knew this, Jennifer, but I called Sam a couple of times about advice and dealing with you. Um, because one of the things when you first got started, um, you, your voice wasn't caring. And we talked a little bit and, and Sam told me and I asked her, I said, how can I get her to be a little bit more boisterous? And she said, you got to tell her. So I don't know if you remember it. I would saddle up to you and I'd talk a little bit about, hey, get in there, do that. Because one of the things that 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 I, I know it happens with 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 young coaches, new coaches, um, is that they're a little hesitant because they, they're kind of trying to feel their way through things. But as I watch Jennifer start to find her voice, I would watch and, and I would watch these players come to her and ask her, hey, what did you see? You know, um, what can I do to make this better? Antonio Gibson is a running back for the Washington football team. He told us about his first impression of Coach King. Just how laid back and cool she was. Uh, you know, she, she's not much of the rah-rah. That's, that's not her. Uh, she's played football, you know, so she's been through a lot. She um, she speaks on a lot. So uh, just, just seeing how laid back and cool she was, but also getting her job done at the same time. I feel like a coach is a coach, uh, you know what I'm saying? Uh, no matter female or male. And I found that out very, very quickly that the guys didn't care um, as long as you could help them. It's such a tough league. And to, to be able to, to get better and to, to stay on the roster is their main goal. So if you can find a way to help them out um, and, you know, build that relationship with them, they, they don't care if you're a woman or a man. What does the future hold for Coach King? Here's what Antonio Gibson told us. The sky's the limit, to be honest. She wants to be head coach somewhere. I can see that happening. Um, and the world is evolving. Like I think I seen yesterday a 5'8 girl dunking. I'm like, you got to respect it. Like, that's just what the world is today. So you got to respect it, you know, give them a shot. Like, they deserve it. So, you know, I feel like she's opened up the doors for a lot of women. All right, I'm going to take our listeners behind the scenes now to the 2018 league meeting. Coach Rivera, I get asked quite often if there was an inflection point in this effort, if there was a time where you pinched yourself or you looked around, you said, oh my God, change is happening. And that happened at the league meeting in 2018 when you, unprompted, got up on stage and challenged the other 31 head coaches in the NFL to consider hiring women. There was no script. We didn't ask you to do this. You just said, hey guys, we're completely eliminating half the population. And what happened in that room that no one was allowed, including media, was hands started going up. And I saw it from head coaches asking you questions. What was your experience? What, what I remember most about that, Sam, was just answering the questions, was was was, was guys saying things and asking things and, and just wanting to, to, to understand. Um, and what was really cool afterwards was I had several guys that had come up to me and talked to me, mostly because they have daughters. And, you know, and, and, and one of my favorites, my conversation I had with Sean McDermott you know, who actually had worked for me. So in talking with Sean, it was really easy because, um, you know, I know his family. I know his, he's got a daughter who's, who's a wonderful young lady. Um, you know, she, she, she's in her, her preteens and, and she's going to grow up and she's going to have an opportunity because of, of what you've started here, Sam, and, 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 and what Jennifer being one of the first. So that is what was important. And to have coaches ask me about, you know, about stuff like that, I think was great. And I will say one of the questions I did get was it was asking me, well, how is she meshing with everybody? And I said, one of the things that I found and talking with Ryan Vermillion, our head trainer, when we when we brought women in to the training room for the first time, he said, the one thing that I do notice is that there is a calming effect 
that women trainers have on players. When they walk into the room, all the intensity starts to just kind of come down. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. And so I do see it with Jennifer on the field is that there is a little bit of that that kind of brings everybody's, you know, angst down just a little bit. And and so, and if Jennifer will forgive me for putting it this way, it's like having the big sister walk into the room, somebody that they have some respect for. What's your advice for women who want to get into football? I mean, the first thing for me is, is learn as much as possible. Um, because you never know when you're going to get an opportunity. When you get the opportunity, you have to be ready for it. And that's what I always tell them. That's the first thing I say is, you know, it's not it's not enough to like football. You have to to really love it and, and learn the intricacies that it takes to be great as a coach um, of a football team. So because um, when the opportunity comes, that may be your only shot to, to prove yourself and show that you deserve to be there. I first tell them, as, as Jennifer said, learn everything, but but find a mentor, find somebody that is inside football right now that can help you and guide you um, and connect you. Um, they have to be an advocate for you. Um, nothing speaks louder than, than having the right advocate at the right time. And, you know, Jennifer is one of those people that did it the right way. She did it through your program, Sam, but she did it because she played the game. Uh, she She's learning the game and she's passionate about the game. As you said, everybody loves the game, but but you have to be passionate and you've got to show people that you are. And, and that, to me, is, is what's important. Up next, a raw discussion with Cleveland's Callie Brownson about a mistake she made that she's discussing publicly for the first time. You worked so hard. You overcame so much. And you go out and make this uncharacteristic, irresponsible, stupid decision, and you've ruined it all. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. So right now, I'm bringing Brown's chief of staff, Callie Brownson, back for a one-on-one -on -one conversation because I know her story well. She's actually one of my best friends. I consider her my family. And I think having her tell this story will be valuable to many listeners. It's about overcoming obstacles and mistakes and how those things have made her a better football coach. Let's start with when you were young and your relationship with football. Talk to us about who you were as a little kid. Yeah, I got introduced to football at a really young age. My dad was always a football fan. Uh, he went to University of Miami, um, which at, really at the time, like late 80s, early 90s, was was a school that you're talking a lot about uh, when it came to football. So I grew up watching, you know, Miami Hurricanes football, um, you know, with my dad every Saturday. And on Friday nights, we'd go down uh, to the local high school and watch football. So it was kind of ingrained in me early. Um, and baseball was too. Uh, we went to a lot of Orioles games and so forth, but there was just something about football for me that was different. I remember being like nine years old and knocking on my dad's bedroom door to say like, I, I want to play. I'm sure like he had some very nerve wracking experiences with that, but he supported me. And I played when I was nine and, and loved every minute of it and had so much support. Uh, my little league baseball coach was also my football coach. Like it was kind of a perfect storm um, in just who was around me and who was supporting me through that. Um, and, you know, it just it just helped my love for the game grow even more because now I was able to put on the pads and 
um, and suit up and actually play it instead of just watching it on TV, which was the extent of my experience with football to that point. So, um, yeah, and that's kind of how I grew as a kid. And, and then I got into high school and wanted to play again and kind of had the same deal of all my friends are playing on the football team. Why can't I? This next part feels so familiar to women who play this game. You want to play. Your teammates want you to play. You're good enough to play, but you're not a guy. And I had my first brush with like gender barriers when they told me I couldn't play. And really, that's the first real life situation that I had where somebody said like women can't do this. Up until then, I had just a ton of support. And then all of a sudden, I just see this wall kind of built in front of me that says like girls, girls can't can't play football. I really kind of struggled with it. And you know, again, enter my superhero of a father who really coached me through that point of adversity um, and really helped me kind of put it where it belonged for the time. And, and I'm really glad that he did because like, you know, that helped me with a lot of the skills that I have now. Of Like, why is this happening this way? Why is this obstacle in its way? Well, it's there for whatever reason and you've got to fight through it. And and so that was really kind of my first lesson in that. And um and then, you know, fast forward, got through, got to college and found the deep, the divas. And like, that's really where the love affair grew because I was an adult now. She's talking about the DC Divas, which is a professional women's football team in the Washington area. She says the eight years she spent there gave her the coaching bug. Then Callie came to the women's forum in 2017 and 2018. I was like working a nine to five and then coaching high school football. And I was like, this is the best it's ever going to get. And then you go to the forum and you're like, nope. It can be better. This can be your job. Like this could be, you know, what you do every single day. So that to me, I was just like, I have to get into the NFL. I don't know how I'm going to keep plugging these resources. Like I remember writing thank you notes to some of the people who spoke there. And and even if I had just a small interaction and um, looking up their bios and trying to include something significant in that thank you letter from their bio <laughs> that like made you stand out, you know, just everything, you know, you're casting a big yeah. net with that. Her efforts paid off. Callie got a scouting internship with the New York Jets, but after that ended, nothing. She had three interviews with NFL teams and went 0 for 3. I was so baffled by it because I knew I interviewed well. I knew I made good connections and I just, I didn't understand. And um, I took it, I took it pretty hard because I was like, this was my shot to stay in the NFL. And I don't know if I'll ever be able to get back in now. And um I just really struggled with it. And you, you and I talked and, and it's just, I, I was pretty defeated. And I get a call to go down and coach at, in Thibodeau, Louisiana, at um, the Manning Passing Academy, who they were doing this really special event for women and girls, basically trying to, to teach young women and girls the game. I didn't want to go. I was still kind of like defeated. And I was like, you know, I, I can't keep teasing myself with this football thing. You know, if it's not going to work, it's not going to work. And I remember specifically telling you to get back on your fucking horse yeah. and keep applying because this is going to work out for you. And now I get to say, I told you so. Callie went to that camp run by Archie Manning and his equally famous sons and met Buddy Tevens, the head coach at Dartmouth College. And at the end, he grabbed me and was just kind of like, you know, I'm sorry, I, I don't want to come off like like ignorant. I'm not trying to be. And he's like, but I'm going to be honest with you. Like up until we did this event, I had never even envisioned women in football. She impressed him so much that he offered her an internship. Callie didn't even know where Dartmouth was. For the record, it's in the Ivy League and it's in New Hampshire. But she went. She crushed the opportunity and was offered a full-time spot, making history as the first female Division I football coach. 
This is what it sounded like when Coach Teven surprised Callie and his players with the news that she was staying on. Callie uh, came in, again, energy and so forth, and her agenda was a little bit different. She liked to get into the coaching world and, and on the field. Uh, and I've been very, very impressed, uh, so impressed with her that I'd like to offer her a position with us this year. At that moment, Callie knew she had a home in the game of football. And shortly thereafter, the Buffalo Bills came calling. With Buddy Teven's blessing and encouragement, she took the position on Coach McDermott's staff. And a season later, when Kevin Stefanski got the top job in Cleveland, he immediately reached out to Callie. Her reputation had preceded her. Why is she so good at what she does? She said it all leads back to her dad. I mean, he was a single father. So when I was young, um, you know, my mom struggled with some some things. And, um, you know, their marriage ended when I was pretty young. I think I was four when they split and five when she moved away from Virginia. Um, so my dad really raised my brother and I by himself. We were young kids who needed a lot. And um, somehow still, he never missed a game. You know, he never missed any event that had to do with our lives. Like, I feel like I, I won the lottery in in having um, Bruce Brownson as my dad. And he still coaches me to this day. Like, that's kind of my joke with everybody. Like, he was my first ever coach. Um, and will forever be my, you know, my coach, my favorite coach. So he's no question your biggest fan. Callie, I know you haven't kind of publicly talked about this, but would really love if you wouldn't mind to talk to us about your relationship with your mom. You know, my mom struggled. Um, and I guess you can say it's like, it's really like a lifelong thing, but my mom struggles with addiction issues. And um, they were very strong when I was a kid and obviously led to their marriage ending and, and it just not being a very safe environment for my brother and I. Um, you know, I have some crazy memories of just some of the things that we went through and, um, you know, ultimately my dad made it a tough, but obviously the right decision, you know, for the future of my brother and I, and I would see my mom and it was always like, you never knew what you were expecting when you saw her. Like my mom wasn't at my gra- high school graduation cause she was in jail, you know? And it's like, I think back on that stuff and it's like really sad, you know, it's, there were so mm-hmm. many moments that she could have shown up for my brother and I. And addiction took over and she just was not, she wasn't there. She wasn't there for my college graduation. Um, She only saw me play football once. Like I played for eight years, you know, and it's like, you know, there was a lot of really crazy moments. So it was was hard to say that like I ever really had a relationship with her because, you know, one of the things I've learned with dealing with people in addiction is like you have who you think they are and then you have who they really are and who they really are is the person who's, who's all encompassed by addiction. And sometimes we disappoint ourselves because we're expecting them to be who we think they are. Um, and I went through that my whole life with my mom, like expecting her to to change and be different. And it never happened. Um, but I will say now, like she's actually been sober for a year now. So um, that's been a positive, I think, well, almost a year. And our relationship has, has become stronger because of it, because, you know, as she continues to put more time and, and work hard at, at being sober and and making, you know, choosing her family and choosing the people that she loves, I start to trust her more. And, and you know, I ultimately do want to get to a point where we can have a normal relationship again. But um, it's, it's really hard. It's really hard to navigate that. And like uh, it, it, the other thing I don't think people ever understand is like how many people really go through this, like are going through this, have family members or significant others or friends who, who battle this stuff. Like it's it's a lot of people are affected by it. And, um, you know, there's a sense of community in that as well, you know, of, of, hey, you know exactly what I'm going through, you know exactly what it feels like. So um, it's definitely not the cards that you wish that you're dealt. But again, I think it's hard to say, like, I'm not, I wouldn't be the person I am today had I not gone through everything that I did with her, you know, and, and it's, 
it's sad, but like there is a silver lining there. We all know our childhoods shape us and form us. How does that impact you as a coach on the field right now with what you dealt with as a kid? That's the beauty of the game of football, I think, is is the adversity aspect of it and, and never really knowing, you know, what's going to happen the next play. Uh, but having to show up and be 100 percent every time, I mean, it is tough growing up the way that we did in a way. I mean, my dad did a fantastic job, obviously. Um, but, you know, you're ready for any challenge and and nothing is too big. You know, nothing is too big and, and nothing deserves, you know, to completely break you. You know, there, it's never as good or as bad as it seems. Um, I've always loved that quote because we think sometimes, too, it's like, oh, God, that was devastating. Well, and, you know, actually, it's not devastating and you're going to get to the other side of it. And, um, you know, everything is manageable in its own way. And and I think also, too, like I've really especially as I've gotten older and processed through a lot of the things that I went through as a kid, like I take personal relationships so seriously and, and the relationships and the rapport that you build with people. And I've learned that, you know, just from, you know, don't take anything for granted, you know, these relationships and these people that you're around, like it's not forever, you know? And so making sure people know, like, I'm here for you, you know? And, and I think that's such a big part of building rapport with players is I'm not just here to, to cash in a paycheck. I'm here because I want you to be successful. I don't care if we are at the highest level of football and you're a professional and you could probably take care of yourself. I just want you to know that I'm always here. And Callie's been on the receiving end of that kind of support as well. I got a call from her in the summer of 2021. Her opening line, I made a mistake. She had a big one. She'd just been arrested for drunk driving. Did you think your NFL career was over that day, Cal? No doubt. You know, I, I definitely did. I, I I think like, I just remember it feeling so heavy, you know, like you worked so hard, you overcame so much and you go out and make this uncharacteristic, irresponsible, stupid decision and you've ruined it all, you know, and, and that's really, that's how I felt, you know, and um, it, it's heavy. It's a heavy feeling. She knew she made a reckless and dangerous mistake. Thankfully, no one was hurt. She is still trying to move forward. And ultimately, my goal, once I kind of took a deep breath after everything was like, okay, this happened. You made this mistake. You know, you did this. Um, what are you going to do about it? You know, who are you going to be on the other side of this? Because, you know, the next step and what comes of this is based off of that and your mentality. Um, and it was really hard for me. You know, I was in a, a I mean, you heard it. I was in a really, really dark place for a while trying to figure out how I was going to rebuild and what the future was even going to look like after that. I was so grateful for the support that I had from this football team, um, from Coach Stefanski, from Andrew Barry, from the Haslam's. Um, you know, they knew they know who I am as a person um, and they knew that this was a low moment and, and, a, and a, a poor mistake. Was the pressure of the job any part of that, uh, you know, and how did you deal with what 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 came after at training camp from some of the fans? Yeah, no, I don't think there was like any correlation between like the pressure of the job or, or any of that stuff. But um, it was tough. You know, it was everywhere. And that was incredibly difficult, you know, because, you know, you become you're the hero one day and then in the snap of a finger, you're you're the villain the next. And, and that's really what I felt like. And um, it was hard because I'm still trying to I'm still trying to like recover personally, like I'm still trying to forgive myself. I'm still trying to work through not just like forgiving myself, but like I let coach Stefanski down. I let all of these people down, um, who really were in my corner. Like, that's what I felt like. And it took me a while too. I think one of the most powerful moments that I had was, and that, you know, was I was 
actually, you know, really going to let them down if I didn't pick myself back up, you know? And that was what the biggest piece was, was I was going to let all those people who were in my corner down if I didn't fix it, you know? And if I didn't become better because of it, that would have really been letting them down, you know? And that was what was tasked of me from Coach Stefanski was, how are you going to be better? You know, how are you, how are you going to fight to get back into the game? It's something we task our players with all the time. So, you know, it's, it's something that, that he definitely placed on me. Are you going to fight? Like, are you going to fight for this? Because I know you can, you know, I know you have it in you, but you've got to prove it to yourself. Um, and I'm, I'm forever grateful for that. Callie says this setback is fueling her work twice as hard to reach her goals. One of those goals is making sure women who are interested in coaching football understand that they can succeed in the NFL. I think we as females also kind of fall into like the societal trap of like, I don't belong here. You know, we let that narrative kind of bleed over in our own thinking sometimes. I think you really try and fight this whole like, I need people to immediately feel like this is a great decision and women add value and all this stuff. And, you know, I think we all do it. So we, we bust our tail, you know, for a while, just so like every, until we wait for that, like affirmation of like, okay, cool. Like they know that I just, I'm the right one for this job, you know? And I think that's just the reality for women in, in football right now is we do, we work two times harder because we feel like we're under this microscope of the second that we look tired or mess up a task or whatever it may be. Somebody's going to be like, see, if that was a guy, we wouldn't mm-hmm. be here. And Cal, you know, talk about additional challenges. You know, you and I have had this discussion in private, but let's put it out there because we're we're ready. You and I are both gay as hell. And we've talked about the way that we present, right? And so you're very masculine presenting in your words. And I've seen what people say on Twitter, saying that you look like NFL players in the past and things like that. What has been the reception from you as a gay woman in the NFL, uh, presenting as you do, meeting with people that are more traditional than people you meet every day? I think this is such an interesting topic because, like, let's be real. If you look too feminine, you don't know what you're talking about as it pertains to football. And if you look too masculine, you don't count as a female in football. Like, it's just like, it's like a catch 22. Can't win. Can't win. You know, and that's, you know, I've seen, I've seen women on the other spectrum of it who are, you know, super feminine. Like, there's no way she knows what she's talking about. Like, are you serious? There's no way she does. And then, yeah, you see it on the masculine end too. Like, you know, she doesn't count. She doesn't count towards this. Like, that doesn't count. Um, You know, I think like I've had a decent experience with it, um, you know, I don't pay attention to that kind of stuff because, again, you can't win that battle. And ultimately, how I look is not going to define me as a football coach at the end of the day. And I I just I don't hold, you know, that standard to anybody else either. Like, hey, you don't look like a football coach. How many people how many coaches in the NFL could you say that about? A lot, I'm sure. (laughs) Like, you don't look like a football coach. Well, what does a football coach look like? You know, explain that to me. Um you know, so I haven't had any, you know, I, I just don't, I just don't let it bother me. You know, I, I take a lot of pride in being a female in football. And I think just like anybody else, like we come in all shapes and sizes and that's a good thing for me. It's just like, I'm here. Um, I'm a coach, yeah. I'm a coach for the Cleveland Browns. And um, that's what it is. Like that's, that's, that's it. It's going to be stressful. There's a ton of pressure. People are always going to doubt you. And to be honest, if they doubt you, it means you're doing something right because it's threatening their perception of like what it should be. And people hate that. Callie, do you want to be a head coach one day? Do you want to be a positional coach? What do you have your eyes on? I love this question um, because I don't have an answer for it. You know, like I guess the my kind of strategy with this is like four years ago, I did had no like if you would have told me I was going to be here, I would have been like, no way. Like not, you know, again, to the conversation. I'm never yeah. going to work in the NFL again. Yep. 
So like what I've done over the past four or five years is just put my head down and worked really hard, built great relationships with people, learned as much as possible. And these and doors have opened and I've been ready for them because like I think that's the other piece of it, too. Like the door can open. But like, are you ready? Like, are you going to do a good job on the other side of that door? Because that's that's just as important. So like that's been my focus. So I, I don't know what, what the future brings. I don't know what, um, you know, what's going to present itself on the other side. Um, but I'll be ready for it. Cal, you are an absolute like beacon of hope for so many people that are trying to make it in football. And, you know, I can't, I can't state it enough just how much people like to be around you. And that's not just saying you're a nice person or you're cool. It really is speaks, it speaks loudly on how you carry yourself and how you perform as a female in this league. So um, while I bust your chops in private all the time, while we're in public, I'm going to thank you so much for all that you do for women in football. You really are an incredible trailblazer. Well, I have to say the same to you, obviously. You know, you're the GOAT. And this vision came true because of of what you wanted to see, you know, happen in the league. And, you know, you've uh, obviously done so much and, and given, you know, all of these women such a platform to honestly, like, all sappy stuff aside, make their dreams come true. Be sure to watch for Earning It, the five-part TV series from NBC and NFL Films, coming to NBC and Peacock in January. And we can't wait to bring you the next episode of this podcast, The Greatest Show on Earth. Diana with her helicopter, which people are still asking for helicopters. We get no's, but they're like, she did it. You know, so people are like, how do we get dropped in? How do we get lifted out? Like, can a drone bring me in? Come with us behind the scenes as Super Bowl halftime show producer Dion Harmon tells us what it takes to pull off the 12-minute concert the world is watching. And oh yeah, the musical genius that is Questlove is our halftime historian. Once Prince gets there, that ring was the best thing that ever happened to him. It was like, he's magic. He He's actually magic. Yes, he made this happen. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.